Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that explores the breadth of human fandom. My name is Nick G, and today we've reached it. It's Phanthropological Endgame. Today, we're going to be talking about the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the people that love it. And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. People say that I'm Canada's ass. Wait. And Nick Z. Insert reference to those Thor movies that I seem to be the only one <laughs> who likes them here. I haven't seen the second one, so I can't even help you out. Nobody saw the second one except for the piece of the second one that is in Avengers Endgame. <laughs> I think the, sh- the short version of this is Z is still worthy. Yep. Call me Thor. Call me Captain, Captain America. I'm still worthy. Today, in an unprecedented move, I have no fandom facts prepared because what do you prepare for when you're talking about actually 20 years of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? 13. Oh, I'm sorry. But it is 20 (laughs) movies worth. Oh, okay. Well, at least the number 20 stuck out for some reason. Yeah. How do you... 23. uh, How do you talk about 23 movies, 13 years of movies and the fandom surrounding it? Like, what, what do you even talk about? Do you just like crunch all the numbers for all the movies is that what you do i mean it made a hundred billion t dollars combined yeah it's like it's like talking about you know the beatles or the yankees or something like that it's it's a given i feel like this is a huge tangent but in the the new ducktales does scrooge mcduck still jump into a giant vault of money yes the mcu is what has enabled real life disney executives (laughs) to jump into giant vaults of money You know, I wasn't sure where that was going, but uh, kudos. We've made those people very happy. I mean, that's as good a place to start as any. Let's let's talk about Disney and let's talk about fandom. Disney now owns Marvel Studios, all of the Marvel movies, that entire cinematic universe. And is that a problem for fandom? This is interesting because I think we're going to get get into it on what fandom entails. I mean, you can you can sit in your living room. And watch an episode of Gravity Falls and love it to bits. And you can sit in your living room and watch Avengers Endgame and love it to bits. And that really shouldn't change how you feel about the thing, right? That that personal interaction with the media should be the same. But it's it's the um, it's like the meta context of what you're watching and where it comes from. But at the same time, yeah, it doesn't feel like fandom. It feels like just everyone has seen these movies and you talk about them because everyone's seen them. It's like the weather. It's so common that it's, that it's a natural bonding experience for people that you don't even know that well. When I haven't seen my brother in a long time and I, f- I feel bad, we often end up talking about movies. And yeah, it's hard not to have those movies as like a, a touch point. I think it was one of the articles that you shared before we started recording for this episode, G, but it was talking about how one thing that the Marvel movies had done for fandom, or I guess just for people in general, is somehow in a time of uh, like we don't really have as much of a cultural zeitgeist it created something that everyone like quote everyone was a part of like when we talk about fandoms like this season we talked about critical role and you know that's something that you might be aware of but it's certainly doesn't have the cultural cachet of of any of the marvel movies like there's probably i don't know a billion I'm just throwing numbers out here, like a billion fans of various MCU movies. And there's, I don't know, maybe a million fans of Critical Role. Yeah, this the scale is is completely different. 
these particular genre movies are like the biggest movies of all time. I feel like Star Wars might actually be bigger. I'm not sure. But there's certainly more of these. Yeah. It's a huge monoculture. And like these superhero movies are like the most successful movies of our times. Like it took our generation for the genre movies to kind of crawl out of the dirt and take their place on top of the pedestal. But like these, these are literally the biggest movies. It's not like good for a sci-fi movie or whatever. They're massive. You can talk about it. You can talk about them with anybody. I don't know. Disney owns it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> D- Disney owns everything. Them being a large company that owns such a huge array of properties is just like, it, it just adds another interesting bit to the normal fandom discussion. If you talk about furry fandom or if you talk about fans of Steven Universe, you know, obviously fans don't control the work. They don't own the work. But the people that create those shows also have a lot more control over the work that they create because they don't have the same expectations as the the fans. And you wouldn't have crazy expectations if you were a fan of cricket either. You'd expect people to play cricket. (laughs) But for something like when you're talking about Black Widow, people, fans have huge expectations of what the movie will be like and how it'll fit into the existing stuff. And it's less of an independent creative work and more of, okay, how, what are we going to make that appeases like these three, five, 12, whatever groups of, of fans? Cause we want to make a bunch of money cause we're Disney. Yeah. My experience from a lot of the MCU movies is that sure was the next one of those. Cause it, uh, you know, Martin Scorsese, not mm-hmm. a fan. We all know that. Yeah. Um, came up this thing between like, like the art and the film, you know, versus film versus movies and cinema versus movies or whatever. Yeah. And you, and there's this, this growing separation between like these are the popular movies and these are the critically acclaimed movies sort of thing. I think, I think the MCU movies are like an experience. Yes. Like more than they are movies. When I was doing my reading around, basically they were one of these people who like hadn't really seen any of the MCU but they had wanted to catch themselves up in time for Endgame. So they basically marathoned everything that had come before over the course of like a week. And the way that they described the experience was that the, the actual content of the movies started to matter less and less as it became more about just like this whole experience of seeing how things fit together. It sort of became like about the meta of the movies rather than what Black Panther did in that one or what. uh Tony Stark's up to in Iron Man 3 or whatever. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube of like the that post credits where Samuel Jackson shows up and it's like we're doing the Avengers project. Yeah. The idea that this movie is promising a connection with future movies like that blew people's minds because then movies didn't work like comic books do. <laughs> nope. Yeah, people were joking. It's like, this is the largest crossover event in history. And then there were like a crap load of memes to, to that effect. But you can't argue that the, the MCU has, has not changed the way that we look at cinema. You go to a movie and it's uh, my wife will be asking me, it's like, why are we still here? I'm like, oh, there might be something after the credits. Because <laughs> I somehow believe that that will happen for like, I don't know, Lego Batman and why? What? That wasn't a thing. It's not a thing. But you're you're right a lot of the time, and that's that has also shaken uh, movies because there are uh, post credit sequence in a lot more movies than there used to be. 
to to jump right to that article and kind of touch on this whole does Disney owning so much matter for fandom? What the author in that article was saying was pretty much it is an experience to see these movies, not even if you're marathoning them like that other uh, movie critic had done, but if you're just in the theater watching them when they're new or newish at least, just being there with other people watching it and having like those other people having huge reactions. Um, the author of that article you'd posted compared it to going on a roller coaster with a bunch of people. Chances are you probably don't know a lot of the people on that roller coaster, but you have that shared experience of taking that giant dive after going up and up and up for, for what seemed like hours, you know, in a way it kind of doesn't matter that Disney owns everything because people still go to the movie theater. They still have that communal, like that weirdly communal, but not so not to the point where you're shaking, you know, the people around you, their hands or not like everybody's got a name tag or anything like that. Just like this communal cathartic experience with, with often complete strangers, unless you've got like 50 friends that you go to the movies with. First of all, I'd like to address that point. Z. Sure. (laughs) I agree with you. And the, I'll link to the article in the show notes. Um, the AV Club has been covering like the superhero movies of the decade, and it's talking about Endgame for 2019. If it costs the same for me to watch movies in a movie theater alone, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not interested in having like if I have friends there, cool. Yeah, but you know, I, I'm not interested in having in being near strangers at all. If the, if the theater's empty, so much the better. <laughs> okay, I, I think the point that Z is getting at though is that like regardless of whether it's a shared experience like when you go to see a movie in a theater mm-hmm. yep and i say in the theater because i really mean that's usually one of the first times that you see a movie you feel mm-hmm. something and from that article mm-hmm. the person liked seeing the video that somebody captured in a the theater which they ought not have that kind of defies the social contract and probably legal mm-hmm. contracts of of a theater but it captured something that that person couldn't get back which is this experience of feeling the movie like you would with a ride yeah um, except yes. yes you already know what to expect after yeah. you've experienced it yeah i would i would also add that even if there isn't a lot of hooting and hollering going on it's still kind of a different experience to see something in the theater with like at least a peppering of other people around no <laughs> i mean no one so, else Soph and i recently <laughs> went to see the wizard of oz at the apollo cinema here in town and like we've both seen the Wizard of Oz probably countless times, and and there were a few other people in there. Surprise, surprise! It wasn't packed or anything, but like still, it's just like you know, it's it's even when people aren't like getting really into it and throwing toast at the screen or whatever, there's still like that oh, communal God. experience. It's sitting in a dark room with a bunch of strangers watching some conflict story arc unfold does something. You know, and Disney, even if they own the characters dancing across the screen, can't own that experience. Yes, it is an experience. I was going to say to both of you, have you guys rewatched any of the Marvel movies? I rewatched both of the Thors, Thor 1 and Thor 2, in anticipation for Thor 3. I have not. But I mean, that's not atypical for me. I, I treat most movies as a experience and that i watch them once and don't go back to them there's very few movies that i've watched more than once 
I mean, I have like Z a, a couple. I've watched multiple times. There's no you can't you can't get it back. They're just not as good. Every single one. <laughs> I mean, I watched like like Avengers. Yeah. I was pretty bored for most of it because I know you know I know what's up. Mm-hmm. I know how it all turns out. It's it's but it's part of that. It's like going to see it in the theater pretty early. For me, I like going going on to going on to like Reddit message board stuff and see what people are saying about it. Like that's the sooner I can get into that conversation, that gets me excited about it. So I'm like making mental notes in my brain as I'm watching it. You know, it doesn't it doesn't need to be more than that because it's because that model is very successful. I had originally written in in the notes for this week's episode is the MCU the end game of fandom, which really shows sometimes how much thought I put into the things that I write. <laughs> <laughs> but more than that, it, it, uh, I I think I was trying to make this this point about about cinema versus movies, but. Um, <gasps> I, I think what it boils down to was that I was saying it's like, you know, is is all movie fandom going towards kind of an experiential situation instead of um instead of something that is more participatory. Which is which isn't even true. Like people love the MCU. Uh I didn't collect any stats, but I'm sure if I went to Archive of Our Own right now and pulled up literally any Marvel movie, there would be so many fanfics. Yeah, 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 and so many crossovers that haven't happened yet. I'm now interested in the crossovers that the MCU doesn't have but are in fanfic. But <laughs> while doing the research for this episode, I was reminded of how many different, um, not cinematic universes, actually technically they are cinematic, but how many Marvel universes there are, some of which are also cinematic, like the <laughs> various animated cinematic universes. There's too much. There's wow. too much. There's, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's no doubt that everyone who's making I don't know I don't know how to, how to put this in like a non-judgmental way making mainstream movies is looking at the MCU and being like I want that. Oh yeah. In the same way that that you know once Game of Thrones hits, I mean it's it's kind of been this way, but I feel like more so once Game of Thrones hit, everyone everyone who's writing fantasy has their oh they have like eight books. <laughs> their series right it's no one sells one fantasy book (laughs) the dividing line is almost becoming like the art side of it is i have it i have a story to tell and i told it and it's done and then then the move the movie side of it is you want more we got more (laughs) we got more forever oh man it's not as though these movies are entirely let's 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 make money like i I absolutely loved Captain Marvel. It was great. Mm-hmm. Black Panther, amazing. Thor, Ragnarok, so good. Like Black Panther, as an example, like has a huge amount of representation and not just token representation. It has literally the Tolkien white guys, <laughs> which is a mm-hmm. fun little nod. Yeah. But even if it is just a fun action movie, which it, it's got a little bit more going on than that, it, it shows that there's representation. Yeah, it took a long time to get there, but hey, they, they did it. And maybe it was easier because because Marvel had built up all the like established other characters, but like they did it, and that's not nothing, and that's not solely just to like keep ma- making movies. They only had to make movies about six or seven white guys first. Oh, uh, well, uh, <laughs> they are yeah. like no no women either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. D- uh, Disney and Marvel are ex- 
will be a corporation of that size going to be extraordinarily risk averse. And they see non-white guy leading roles as risks. Yeah. And probably still do. DC decided that let's just do Wonder Woman and success. <laughs> but, and they, that is uh, now their, their rocket ship to <laughs> success. Cause they, they managed, you know, to, to, to nail that one. And they're like, all right, we're going all in on this. Don't call Zack Snyder. Yeah. We're we're talking we're talking about representation at like the biggest level of media. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about the companies being risk averse. So like like the bigger and more more you know, the bigger a platform, more money that it makes, the further back it has to be. In terms of representation. Um, yeah. I mean it doesn't have to. It just is, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's going to make the most money is going to be the thing that appeals to the most people. And if that happens to be, you know, this white superhero guy. That's then- not how that works. <laughs> oh. Well, no, but I mean, it, uh, uh, there's been lots of great tweets about this. It's like, you know, if you have a movie and it's mediocre and it's got a white dude, then it's like, okay, whatever. But if you have a movie and it's got a white woman or a diverse person or like whatever. And it does poorly. It's like, Oh, well it was clearly because of that. And not just because the movie was mediocre. I want to say that it was Michelle Wolf, but I can't remember for sure. Did a tweet. It's like, does a diehard do badly at the box office? And they're like, okay, I guess we'll stop making man movies eh. now. Yes. That, that might've been, I don't know if that was her, but that was, <laughs> that was a good one. One, one thing that I'm really happy about as far as fandom and the MCU goes is both the ways that the movies have not necessarily decided to like go super hard towards the comic books. They make things more approachable. I think it's to their benefit to do so. Like the comic book nerds will watch these movies regardless of how close to the comic books they are. But you're trying to, you're as always trying to get the casual, the more casual viewers. (laughs) So you, you know, you, you, you use bits from the stories that are there that seem compelling. And then you sprinkle references to other things for the hardcores, which is often what comes up in the, in those post credits things. They'll show a symbol or, mm-hmm. or someone's name or something like that. People like, <gasps> some kind of glove. Yeah. They'll know, but every but everyone else has to go home and Google it <laughs> um, to find out. And then people get excited. Mm hmm. One thing that they've done though, which is which is interesting, is they're trying to they're trying now with so many movies and so many characters to make movies of and so many sequels to the movies that those characters start in. They're trying to trying to you have your cake and eat it too, because because they're now trying to fill different genres within the MCU. Ant Man is a heist movie. Huh? Oh, for example, I consider. Infinity War and Endgame just be like big fat fat comic movies. <laughs> it is it, it it's a mission uh, sort of movie. Um, I don't know exactly what to characterize Guardians is, but it definitely has its own um, style to it. It's got hits a lot of the notes for summer action movie. Yeah, I mean a lot of them do, but they it it definitely is going more in the like fun direction. Yeah, and it's very like pop culturey and mm. yeah. 
the upcoming Doctor Strange is supposed to be like a horror movie. Ooh. Ooh. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness or something like that. Hmm. Like love like Lovecraftian horror. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like certainly the comics have such a a wide uh wide reach, right? Like the comics are always going to be comics, but they've got to cover all sorts of different genres too. Right? They don't, but they do often. I agree with the T. Okay. <laughs> it depend it, it it depends it really depends on like the the author that is in charge of a title at a given time. Right. Right. A uh, good example is um Batgirl Burnside where it was uh, Babs Tower and a couple other people took over Batgirl and she became like a hipster living in like the a cool section of Gotham. Ha. Cool. Like like a 20 something hipster. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the vibe the vibe of Batgirl for a while. Yeah. Um so that will happen depending on who comes in onto onto the title. Slightly different problem. Marvel Cinematic Universe, big movie franchise. Comics, different problem being wanting to continue to run long-running comic series. So you could pick up an arbitrary Spider-Man, and you're probably not going to get something like Saga or Rat Queens because that's... I mean, one, that's not the audience that they're going for, but two, they want to produce a comic that they can keep doing for a really, really long time. Like the movies. Yeah. It has resets baked in because people are scared of, of the high number of volumes. Actually? Uh, with good reason. But, oh yeah, it ha- that happens fairly frequently. That's interesting because I will read like, I don't know what the longest manga series I have on my bookshelf is, but like, there are definitely some that are over 20 volumes. <laughs> I mean, even even though manga is, a, a, some of it is made to just go on. Uh, it's usually a singular yeah, vision. That's true. Where, whereas comic books are like, we have these properties that exist. Who's next <laughs> to write it? They ha- they all have to exist. So we need the next person to keep doing that. If you, if you just showed somebody a bunch of these movies, surely they would like really get into one character and that would keep them coming back. I feel like the characters are kind of a big part of the fandom. Have you ever seen someone wearing a t-shirt that just said Marvel on it? Yeah. Well, there goes my <laughs> f***ing argument then. <laughs> I mean, like the generic logo, but I feel like that's more of a fashion statement kind of thing than necessarily I love all Marvel. Even even somebody going around with that t-shirt, maybe the next day or the day before they had a t-shirt with Spider-Man on it. I mean, my general point is that people tend to choose or maybe even encouraged to choose favorites with so many flipping characters. Yeah. It's not, it's not quite sports team level. It's not like Saturday Night Live where people who have been in the comedy business view it as a sport and have their favorites that they pick and like, oh, you know, Pete Davidson got a, got a good couple good couple outings today and I know he's doing really well. He's been on this many sketches. <laughs> like that whole thing is fascinating, by the way. But it's not quite level. But you know, you have you have so many characters you're gonna who have opposing viewpoints. You're gonna have your favorites. You might have your least favorites. And I feel like people don't trumpet to the MCU a lot because it's so self-evident. But people will talk about specific characters and specific movies a lot. The way that you started that off, see, I'm wondering if there's some something that you want to dig at, and I want to hear it. <laughs> 
I mean, as movies and movies that, you know, because they're comic book movies have to go into so much lore or explain you know, how this power works or how this world works with these people with these powers in it, you know, a movie can only be so long. Marvel <laughs> Marvel has been pushing that length uh, further and further oh, back. Oh, contra. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, movies can only be so long. Unless we, we uh, reintroduce intermissions, three hours is probably, you know, the max. We wiped out intermissions somehow. Yeah. But unless, unless Thanos uh, dances across the screen with uh, some anthropomorphic popcorn or something, we've got to, like, cram all this stuff into a generously, at most, three-hour movie. Characters don't really get a lot of room to breathe in that kind of setup. There's not a whole lot of like, like in the big crossover movies. Yeah. Yeah. And even in their, in their individual movies, they might have like, you know, Ant-Man um, is a divorced dad still cares deeply for his daughter still tries to be a part of her life, even though his ex-wife doesn't seem to be totally keen on that, but there's stuff going on. Like there's some depth there, but it doesn't, I mean, I only saw Ant-Man 1 and Ant-Man 2 once each, so I might be missing something, I might be forgetting something, but there wasn't a whole lot of development of that that's whole area. It sort of just seemed to be the same situation from what I remember in the second movie. Well, I mean, uh, speaking of picking favorites, Ant-Man is one of mine. Okay, perfect. And I mean, it's hard not to like Paul Rudd. <laughs> of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And enjoy him. I enjoy his powers, his movie, his heist. Yeah. And then he was, and then in, in Captain America civil war, he was just kind of a moron. Yeah. <laughs> like he got, he got way, way dumbed down because of what the plot needed him to do. Exactly. But at the same time, I kind of wonder if the fact that these characters like get some developments, but then also are, you know, tools of the plot. To varying degrees depending on how many people are in this crossover and that crossover if it's not necessarily that they're blank slates but that they're, they're like blank templates ant-man is the fun jokey charming superhero tony's or iron man you're going to have to be more specific <laughs> <laughs> but like iron man is the tech guy the the arrogant tech guy he's the white tech guy right right Anyway, that, keep, yeah. keep digging. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> Get hold of my shovel here. Thor is like the, the brute fish out of water character, at least in the first two movies and like so on and so forth. They don't really seem to develop beyond that. You're uh, describing them as archetypes. And that I think only makes sense in the context of their individual movies in their individual movies. Yeah. They've, they've got some depth. Yeah. They're, moments that are are touching or emotional or or funny um in the as g put them like the big comic movies like those even broad strokes are reduced to one notes (laughs) like because just it's the action (laughs) and the fact that they're all together that's what the movie is you you pay dividends of character development in their individual movies so you get to have the crossover movies kind of the formula yeah i'm not i'm not saying that like tony stark or uh chella 
or any of those characters don't have depth. They do. But like often like that one person who had gone and watched all the movies back to back, they are manufactured in such a way that like it, it's to, to make you feel a couple different ways before we get to this plot point. Um, and maybe that wasn't as much of an issue in like the first couple of movies because there wasn't the promise of a big Marvel cinematic universe. I mean, I will say broadly, that is the point of like all narrative, but I feel like what you're saying is they're doing it in a fairly obvious way. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I guess I should say once there was definitely going to be, Hey, we're going to have a large Marvel cinematic universe. Like the tone of your stories can change to be like, Oh yeah, this movie is obviously setting us up for another movie as opposed to like Iron Man one where you're like, obviously what obviously Tony Stark is Iron Man. People didn't think like before Iron Man came out, superhero movies were not like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Hmm. Yeah. X-Men last stand. Not good. Yeah. People were trepidatious about, about superhero movies. Like, really? We want to do this again. We've been trying this and trying this and, you know, um, I mean, X2 is good. Spider-Man 2 is good. But uh, for the most part, it's like, like Marvel, Marvel was very hesitant at first or like slow at first. Be like, okay, we're going to try doing the Avengers. I hope this works. <laughs> I mean, a billion dollars, and then they're kind of relaxed. Yeah, here's here's some movies, if you don't remember them. Uh, Catwoman, The Spirit, mm. Jonah Hex, oh. uh, the 1989 Punisher, Fantastic Four from 1994, uh, Blade. P- I don't think Blade a Fantastic Four. Yeah, but I, yeah, okay, yeah. I don't what think was Blade that? was that bad. <laughs> what was I that movie Blade. where where Nick Cage? There, there were two of them. Ghost Rider. Yeah, that's the one. There's that. Yep. I mean, pick any of the ones that were from Fox. They probably weren't great. Mm. Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, because then it was. I I think Green Lantern was might have been oh six oh seven around the same time as Iron Man. I'm mad about it, but. Because before it was like, eh, superhero movies, I don't know. And now I feel like there's a sense of super superhero movies that aren't like MCU movies. I don't know. Hmm. Like, I feel like they've stamped their template on it so hard that it's hard to, to switch. Though Joker made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's really a superhero movie. But where does that leave the fans? Uh, it leaves them downvoting <laughs> Captain Marvel because they're jerks. Man. They just went from Doctor Who to Last <laughs> Jedi to Captain Marvel. It's downvoting women starring in things. Yeah. It's a straight line. You can see it. it's so up. No, it's not. It's yeah. terrible. Um, I came across an article on uh, io9 that was talking about toxic fandom and it wasn't specifically talking about the MCU, uh, but it's talking about um problematic parts of fandom about the talked about some things that we bring up on occasion uh the death of the artist which is um i believe the interpretation where the artist doesn't matter and you just judge a work based on its work Mm -hmm. uh talked about authorial intent which is the other thing we use sometimes which is like what did the artist actually intend for this to mean is does it have like lgbtq subtext because that's what they intended. Dumbledore or? is gay, by the way. Yeah, well, like legit. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, <laughs> but then J.K. Rowling is also yeah. which, also a turf. Yeah. So, yeah, that. Yeah, really. I, apparently, oh. 
Uh, uh, things that we won't touch on this episode. God, yeah. Um, but one of the things that it was talking about was that, uh, and kind of like the Scorsese point that you were making earlier, G, that like, you know, uh, maybe it's not art in the same way that cinema is, but more importantly, it's like, you have this intertwining of fandom and the art where there's an expectation of the fandom being part of the art. Um, and then you have this mess where parts of the fandom aren't great. And that doesn't help with the intertwining with the art. That's a tricky one. Um, I'll make broad sweeping statements. Generally, I'm not a fan of when fandom becomes part of the art. <laughs> Shocking. You know, like does observing the result change it kind of thing. <sighs> Because if the story becomes reactive, then it's like, well, what story were you trying to tell in the first place? Kind of like where you're just trying to get a rise out of uh, out of somebody. Yeah, like you're. Oh, I acknowledge that you said this thing, or this thing was uh, was alluded to, or, or whatever elsewhere. I mean, it, it could be a very like innocent sort of sort of nod kind of thing, or you could or you could bake it in. I mean, when I read that article, I had thought for a brief glimmering moment. That maybe if somebody could pull off a shared universe made up of an entirely original story, totally original cast, um, not even not even just with like classic monster, uh, classic movie monsters though, because obviously that didn't work. Oh boy! <laughs> but if they could make a cinematic universe out of whole cloth with no sort of preconceived notions about. Oh, well, actually, Iron Man does this. Or, oh, well, actually, that Captain Marvel, well, she's not that great. You know, then maybe you could make a thing that would have a fandom that wouldn't become toxic. But it... I mean, we just talked about Steven Universe last week. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of (laughs) happens. Yeah. People, people like to compete. <laughs> Talked and, about a show that's all about heart. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Ha- like generally good, generally pretty good. And also has some bad parts. And that's, it's like, how do you, how do you stop fan entitlement? You know, if people are, 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 you know, contributing that many hours of their life to this thing, they're going to feel a connection to it. Mm hmm. And the only way to do it is to make what what it is utterly alienating, <laughs> <laughs> but that might not get a lot of people to enjoy it. Seems to have worked pretty well for David Lynch, although I'm sure if you dug deep enough, there are probably some wild things going on there in that fandom. He has done enough to build his reputation that anyone who's a fan of the show knows that nothing that they say will ever like <laughs> matter to him or be... <laughs> taken on board by him that's that's very true yeah as compared to like the producers of the mcu who are obviously very interested in what people think about literally every single marvel movie Mm -hmm. like you're not going to get a black lodge inspired dr strange movie you're you're going to get even if it's horror themed, you're probably going to get, it's like, oh, it's got some Lovecraftian overtones, but it's not really a horror movie because it's still a Marvel, Marvel movie. Yeah. Curb, curb your expectations. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. But like still. It is the Marvel movie version of X. <laughs> I'll still, I'll still have my fanfic where uh, Dr. Strange goes through a 
a mind-bending scenario like um like the main character in inland empire or is she part of this movie is the movie film script cursed and she's like battling her own mind and anyway yeah accessible dr strange the evolution of the arm oh man he could be then what about his doppelganger well, if there's a if there's a can of creamed corn featured anywhere in the the Doctor Strange movie, I'll I'll know what's up. Do I want to know? I would hi- highly recommend anyone who's interested in this conversation to go check out our Twin Peaks episode, mm-hmm. which is quite a few seasons back at this point. But it's in there, as all our episodes are available for free on feathermagical.com. If I could uh, kind of turn us back for a second here, um, and speaking about toxic fandom specifically. Mm-hmm. Like the the backlash uh, to Captain Marvel. I remember listening to an episode of uh, Reality Bomb, a Doctor Who podcast. And uh, one of the sections that they had on this particular episode was um, the hosts interviewing a whole bunch of a whole bunch of, uh, of fans of Doctor Who and getting their reactions to the announcement that Jodie Whittaker, a woman, was going to be the 13th Doctor. And... One reaction in particular came from a male fan and, and basically like, you know, he, he had a few, you know, thoughts come up in the, in the process of, you know, working through this announcement, this news. But one of them that was really interesting to me was the fact that he was worried that maybe he would be attracted to the doctor now. And what does that even mean? Yes. And (laughs) I could I realize but, this is not your comment, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but that's that's just it. Like, yes, and exactly. Female fans have no problem being attracted to like the main character if it's a man or a woman or whatever. It's just like they're just female fans. Everybody saw David Tennant, right? Yeah, yeah. And it just makes me wonder if maybe like there's something. I mean, that was just one reaction out of at least 10 that they got. Um, some of them were totally negative. Some of them were totally positive. Others were mixed, but like, it just makes me wonder if part of it is that there's still this, this collective idea in the collective unconscious, if you will, if you will, for a moment that a superhero is this figure of power and authority and therefore male. <laughs> and so if you've got this female superhero, it's like, what's going on here i'm feeling feelings i don't i don't understand i'm very uncomfortable (laughs) and maybe that's what people are reacting to i know this is like this is me going out on the deep end no no it's it's no this is good i'm I'm laughing because it's like is this subconscious idea the patriarchy (laughs) i mean essentially like it's just like it's it's like well i can't be rescued because i'm a man i'm like hell that captain marvel can save me any day wonder woman sounds great Like not not even like uh, in in any sort of sexual way. It's just like why is that a problem? Like who cares? Do I have to empathize with a person who doesn't look exactly like me? Like women, <laughs> and queer people, and people of color have been doing forever. <laughs> hmm. Sorry, Star Trek fans. I guess the only people you can look to is Uhura and um, Sulu. Oh, Sulu. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of the original mm. series. Oh yeah, okay. But I sorry, their characters and then they carried on into yeah. 
And I mean, yep, that's just the representation you'll have to get. If you don't like those characters, that's too bad. You'll have to like the white dudes. Mm. No, that's Tough. that. That's really yeah. cool that that person had that thought and didn't quite connect the dots, but got close. Mm-hmm. That's neat. I hope more people do that as yeah. as we have more movies with representation. That was cool to learn about the Doctor Who fandom when that happened. <laughs> Which, I thought very highly of it until then. Yeah. Oh, when uh, when yeah, Jody just when Jody Whitaker was announced, it was just like a shit storm. And I was like, "Oh, guys, we can be better than this." That's uh, <laughs> that's sad, but I I get it. <laughs> Not that I understand why people mm-hmm. are like that. It's just like I I understand how you feel. There's still that deeply entrenched idea, like. Talking, talking about this giant corporate-owned thing that people are a fan of, the MCU, until like the culture at large changes in such a way that people of color, women, LGBTQ people in lead roles is not a big deal, there's always going to be backlash because it's designed the mcu is designed to appeal to the the most people right and they they might risk it with something like captain marvel or black panther and there'll be some backlash there but then there will also be people saying finally finally i don't know the toxicity in fandom until the culture as a whole changes if you want to avoid it you got to kind of go into those little niches you got to go to those indie works or those smaller works from smaller corporations the smaller heartful corporations exactly movies starring women and people of color have been done before oh yeah it's just like the, again this is like the biggest level and it's so it's much further back and it's just and you know they're starting to get better at ignoring all the dudes that are like why are we catering to these people and i'm like oh they're people that exist in the world yeah Better brushing that aside and just and just and just going ahead, but uh, uh, it's a long road, baby. Mm-hmm. I think the MCU represents like a mainstream sort of pulse, mm. and and what is in the MCU is in like the lowest lowest common denominator, I guess. The way that is seen by the most people and like affects the feelings of most people. Uh, so, so to see representation like that there means that that is like the baseline for everybody yeah so it's it's slow progress um but it's it's sort of that and like for the mcu to go on ad infinitum which i'm sure it will (laughs) there's nothing except the name marvel attached to it there's no reason why it can't go on forever yeah unless people decide at some point that they that they're just not interested like enough people decide this is not getting any money from me that it's just going to kind of just be that mirror that we hold up to the times that it was made in and just see what was going on. It's a way to check in Mm -hmm. with a time period more than it is uh, that movie to be, uh, to be revisited. In that sense, it's a lot like the comics um, because we can often go back and see what were the, how were people feeling? I guess really interesting to see, People take pages from like Captain America and 
them talking about how uh, like having diversity makes America a better country. And then you hold that up today and you're like, where did we go wrong? (laughs) You see the, uh, you know, that first issue of Captain America where he's punching Hitler. Yeah. And you're like, where did we go wrong? (laughs) At the end of the day, the MCU is there. And that's pretty much what its job is. (laughs) How do you have final thoughts on something that doesn't end? Like we, we talk about other fandoms and like how they will probably go on for a long time, but a long time is not forever. We're talking about like the Mickey mouse of movies. Yeah. It's going to go on forever. Uh, Just like Dr. But MCU probably not. Like, there's no shortage of people to pick from, and then they can eventually decide to make new characters. What a concept. Yeah. New characters? Ew. Man, I mean, there's a lot of casual fans of this. There's a lot more fans of this than almost every fandom we've covered, perhaps. But I went to go read the Endgame thread after I watched Endgame, and half of it was like, well, if Steve went back in time to this point, does that mean that he's still the same Steve? And I'm like, oh my god, I do not care. <laughs> I feel like there are fandoms and properties that those kinds of questions I would care about, but man, did I ever powerfully <laughs> not care about that. <laughs> and that was half the thread. It definitely reminds me a lot of the whole Zelda timeline thing, or the Sonic timeline, or any timeline really but like glad we got that zelda timeline sorted out (laughs) done um but something with something like that with the mcu it's just too much man yeah so if i had some final thoughts on the mcu they are yeah i'll probably you know go see the ones that i'm interested in maybe maybe the team-ups black widow could be really good but yeah i think i am one of those casual fans. I feel like my final thoughts were when I said it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. If you're uh, interested in following the show, uh, please go to the podcatcher of your choice and uh, hit subscribe. You can follow the show on Facebook at Phanthropological or on Twitter at Phanthropologic. If you want to know what's going on with the three of us in general, the next cast, we are on the internet at the next cast everywhere that you want to be except like tiktok mm-hmm. but most places um we'll be there at the next cast you are leave feedback chat with us hear about stuff you'd like to talk for us to talk about on the show you can also leave feedback at nick at the com. and if you want more next cast content you can go to the nextcast.com check out our other podcasts including the zeal archives uh where we answer questions like how long king guardia has reigned for or you know, just talking about Luca's crazy inventions, because on that show, we explore the world of Chrono Trigger one bit at a time, covering the characters, items, mechanics, locales, and lore with a dose of our hosts, myself and G. Personal experience mixed in with the game, plus some fun audio drama bookended on the beginning and end, and I believe a new episode should be coming out next week. So you can check out the last Zeal Archives episode of 2019. We also have another show uh, in the next cast channel. Next cast shared universe. The next cast, <laughs> yeah, the next cast shared universe. Next cast podcast universe. Um, who in review? In which we review the current series of Doctor Who as it's airing, which which we have learned very recently will be returning on January first. 
So tune in at some point on January 1st, I would say towards the evening, if you're in North America, and hear us, hear us reviewing the, uh, the new season, Series 12. It's back sooner than we thought it was going to be, for better or for worse. Unrelated to anything audible, Ooh. you might also want to go on over to Amazon and uh, type into that handy search bar, Beowulf, a mostly modern verse translation. Or just Beowulf and Sakarowitz. I've published my translation of Beowulf over on Amazon. Whichever Amazon is your choice, Amazon, they've got it. It is available now in ebook formats. All right, folks. That's going to do it for Fanthropological in 2019. We have some good holidays. And when we come back for the new year, we're going to be doing a bit of a format change. You've heard our minisodes in the past where we take a question related to fandom and just kind of talk around it for about half an hour. That is what Fanthropological is going to be starting in the new year. And a lot of a lot of hard searching and decided that that's kind of how we want to tackle the podcast from now on, as opposed to uh, doing these deep dives every week. As, as fun though it was, our lives have changed a little bit, and so so too must the podcast. And as we continue to produce other podcasts and other things that we really enjoy, G with his music, Z with his books, and me with more podcasts, you know, it, in order to make time for those things, we had to figure out what was most important. And changing the format of the show seemed like the best way to keep doing something that we love and also do the other things that we love. It's all about balance. Mm -hmm. It's like everything in perfect balance. (laughs) As it should be. (laughs) 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 So for Nick Z, for Nick T, this is Nick G saying... Until next year, we'll see you next year. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> yeah, or like a mid mid roll credit or something like that. Yeah, I mean, most MCU movies in the past years have both. <laughs> Yeah, unhelpfully. <laughs> Can we leave now? No, there's another thing. It's at the very end, and then you stay for like five seconds of something and wonder if it was worth it to stay through the whole credits. I know, Z, that your answer to that would be yes, it's always worth it to go. <laughs> Carol Danvers is gay. Changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs>